Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 320. Last week, I spent some time with the Big 12 Conference out at their match play tournament in Houston, Texas. Texas was dominant the entire way and ultimately picked up the win against Baylor in what would be their last Big 12 match play tournament before moving on to the SEC next year. Unlike the SEC match play event that had a stroke play component, the Big 12 match play consisted of only match play. It allowed for coaches to evaluate their players in a different format, one that they will need to navigate if they want to make a deep run towards a national championship next spring. Texas reloaded quickly after their national championship run just two years ago. They've done it by adding leadership via the transfer portal and getting early production out of their underclassmen. Will it be enough this spring? As always, we'll just need to wait and find out, but as their fall season comes to a close, I'm sure that Coach John Fields is feeling great about where his team stands right now. As a reminder, every past episode is available for download at thebackoftherange.com. Doesn't matter if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The links to all of the social media channels are there as well. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The merch store is a little bare still, but we are going to be repopulating some items in there. Some new hats, hoodies, things like that. So keep checking that out. And uh, yeah, again, for all the people looking to support the Back of the Range, thank you so much. Go check out thebackoftherange.com. Speaking of support, you may remember that very recently, the Back of the Range was asked to be a brand ambassador of the Annika and Haskins Awards. These are the two premier awards in college golf voted on by the players, coaches, and college golf media. It's an incredible honor to represent these two awards. And speaking of honors... Well, I never dreamed that I'd get to say this sentence when I started the podcast five years ago. So here goes. My guest on this episode of the Back of the Range is Annika Sorenstam. Yeah, we're just going to let that one sink in a bit. Now, we didn't chat about her playing career in detail because, well, frankly, we had some other topics to discuss. And I felt that some of these would be more applicable and useful to you, the listener. But if you needed a quick refresher on some of Annika's professional stats, well, she's won over 90 times throughout the world as a professional, 11 majors, 8 Player of the Year awards, only female to break 60 in an official event, and yes, she is uh, very proud of being Miss 59. Annika still tops the LPGA Tour's all-time money list. She's represented Europe as a player in 8 Solheim Cups, and she was a captain of the team in 2017. But in our chat, we spoke about the meaningful initiatives of the Annika Foundation and also a little bit about the start in her game. Now, remember, she came over from Sweden, where golf was not a year-round activity, to play her college golf at the University of Arizona. So we dug into that poignant transition in her life and how it led to her becoming one of the greatest golfers in history. Let's jump into this episode right away. Annika, thank you so much for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? 
I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. You're uh, you're welcome. It's a, it's an honor and uh, just got done. Uh, well, you know, we're here. It's Friday morning, first day of the Ryder Cup. You and I were just talking about this. You know, I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about this. Someone that's played Solheim Cups, captain of Solheim Cup. The U.S. is six and a half to one and a half down for the first day. Now, I know you're 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 European, you're Sweden, but you also live in in, in Orlando, Florida. So, I don't know. Are you torn a little bit today, or are you just full on Euro and and just in in Luke Donald's camp? Well, I mean, I you know I'm a golf fan. Sure. <laughs> you know, I love good golf. I love watching these team events, and I mean, I know players on both sides. Um, you know, I'm. I mean, of course, I. I mean, in the end of the day, I mean, I'm. I vote more for the blue than for the red, but you know, I also want great competition, great golf, which. I think we saw some amazing golf today, but I think overall, just if you didn't watch it this morning and you just kind of turned on the TV and saw the results, you, I think you'd be shocked. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, you look at the teams on paper, it seems like the U.S. team is always stronger, but we always talk about, you know, the bond and how the European players get together, et cetera. But these are the very best golfers in the world. And, and, uh, I mean, it was a rough day for us. It, it really was. And, um, you know, not to win, to win a match. I don't know what the odds are. If you went to Vegas and said, Hey, I'm, I'm putting my money on, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't think anybody would have done that. No, no, that was, uh, I think I woke up in the middle of the night and saw the four zero and I said, well, I'm going to go back to bed. Uh, just pretend I didn't see that. Maybe it'll be different when I wake up, but, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy day. Now, 2003, I guess, must be your fondest Solheim Cup memory. I mean, you win in your home country of Sweden. There's no Italians on the European team this year at the Ryder Cup. But that energy today looked just absolutely infectious. How did you kind of compartmentalize maybe, you know, national pride when you're trying to to play in one of these uh, team formats? So excited to be there, obviously, in your, in your home country. How do you compartmentalize that of trying to execute – but also embrace the fact that you're representing your country at, at the Solheim Cup. Well, I think that's what makes it so cool and such an honor. And, and um, you know, a goal of many of the players is to be part of something like this. And when it's your hometown or home country, uh, I think it's different for U.S. because every other year, right, they're, at, they're in the home country. Right. And, and when you're on the European Tour, you might. Uh, when you represent Europe, you might even never get to play in your country, but I've been lucky to do it twice. And it's just, it's just amazing. Right. I mean, the fans and, you know, just be able to showcase you in front of, you know, your friends and family and, you know, a golf course that you probably know. And it's just, just something about it. And, and what we saw with Soham Cup last week with Carlotta being the only Spanish player and, you know, the crowd loves golf over there. I mean, it's, a, you know, that part of Spain is just, you know, the golf course is wherever you turn. So, you know, to have her come down the stretch and, and then literally make the winning putt and everything, yeah. it was just, I mean, it just, it's, it's, you know, you try to write a story and, and that's, you can't get any better. It's just, just a, a fairy tale and it's just something you dream about. And I would say, you know, this particular week, you know, with the Molinari brothers, I know there wasn't a player from Italy, but, you know, golf is growing over there and, and, you know, the history that they have and just the fans were incredible. I mean, it's just, this is what makes this tournament so special. And we, I think we have seen it the last few weeks where you have players 
you know, trying to be on the team, thinking they should be on the team. They do anything to be on the team, you know, but it's pride. And that's what history, you know, has created. And that's what these memories and the excitement and, you know, it's just so cool to watch. And, you know, I'm glad it's three days and, and I hope it gets exciting to the end and that, you know, this is what makes golf, you know, just so popular amongst other athletes and famous people who we have seen that's been in Italy this week, right? I mean, they're all showed up and want to be part of it. I think it's great too, that you're seeing guys that, uh, you know, maybe just as recently as two, three, four weeks ago, the narrative of professional golf is obviously talking about as it has been for a while, talking about live or talking about all these different factions. And it, it is nice to get kind of get a vacation from that and see guys that, are just fist pumping and really kind of their team. So it's, it's fun to see that. Um, speaking of teams, just saw you at the Annika intercollegiate in, uh, in Minneapolis, more specifically the Lake Elmo, uh, Minnesota. So, you know, we had a great championship there four way tie for the individual medalist position. South Carolina captured the team, but, um, it's funny. I had to reach out to your your team and get some some photos of you that were non baseball related because all I have of you are, are photos of you on a on a baseball diamond, which most people will think, well, how'd that happen? Uh, you're out the at the Twins game. We recognized Amanda Sambach, who's the defending champion at the intercollegiate. She threw out the first pitch. You caught the first pitch. Um, I'll ask you about the state of the women's uh, collegiate game, but first, what are some of the cool memories that you have from? getting to do things like that because of what you've accomplished in golf, because you're Annika Sorenstam, you get to throw out a first <laughs> pitch. I think you, didn't you read the top 10 list on Letterman once? Yeah, no, I've been lucky. Okay. To, so um... yeah. So what are the things that people may not realize? <laughs> and of course they see you holding trophies. Um, and a lot of them, we're not going to get into all those, but what are some of the fun things that you've been able to do just because of your, uh, a world famous golfer? Well, I think, you know, it's amazing how many people outside of golf play golf, you know, whether it's actors or, you know, other athletes or business people or, you know, your hobby is golf. So, you know, whether we play in programs, you know, our paths will cross with somebody and interact with somebody and learn, you know, that's been very good in their, in their field. You know, a lot of friendships has been baseball or or just anything really tv personality so it's it's great i mean golf brings people together as we know it's a sport for life and yeah i mean it's been to you know obviously throw up the first pitch but it's you know it's not about me there it's more about highlighting the work and the young golfers the athletes have done so well and just giving them you know place to be seen and heard and share their stories. And, but yeah, no, it's, it's funny. You think of where golf, whether it's, you know, I w- um, earlier this year, I was, uh, I was lucky to get in an Indy car 500 and do two laps prior to the race. I mean, that was, you know, I'm not necessarily a car person. I don't like to go fast, but that was super exhilarating. Right. Sure. And, um, you know, I've done some downhill skiing, you know, um, little races where I got tips from skiers, you know, Bodie Miller and et cetera. And, or whatever it is, it's been TV personalities and actors and, you know, being so, yeah, it's funny where golf takes you. You never really know. Right. Yeah. And it's been yeah. fun, but I think a lot of it is just spreading the word about women's sports and, 
being included and sharing sharing that to others. You you played college golf at the University of Arizona back in the early nineties. Uh, where do where do you kind of see the state of the women's game at this elite collegiate level? We can talk about other uh, you know factions of of getting uh, women or, or anyone really into the game, but what are your thoughts on kind of the state of collegiate golf compared to what you were seeing uh, back when you were competing at Arizona? Well, I mean, I think collegiate golf is in a, in a wonderful position today. I mean, it not just has it grown, but the quality of the game, the quality of the athletes, you know, the practice, the resources, you know, the exposure, and it's just at a total different level that, we haven't seen before. There's an interest there. Um, you're bringing people and players from around the world and, you know, just elevating the competition and, um, you know, this preparing many of these student athletes, you know, for the next steps or the next adventures in their lives um, through great coaching, through great school programs. And, and it's just, it's wonderful to see. And, um, you know, I know many of you just talk about golf, and I'm sure it's similar in other sports. But, you know, you just look at the golfers that, you know, to decide to take the next step. And, I mean, what comes to my mind is because where's the Ryder Cup is, you know, Ludwig Orbe, the guy from Sweden. Yeah. That, you know, the phenom that, you know, he played at Texas Tech, literally played NCAAs um, maybe four or five months ago, uh, is now on, you know, playing in the Ryder Cup. And, I mean, that just shows you the quality of, of um, the players. And um, I think it's inspiring to anybody who, who watches it or even young kids and say, you know, this is the route to go, you know, combine studies with sport. And it's just terrific to see. What was your, your biggest uh, transition or, or, you know, maybe hurdle to get to, you know, to acclimate yourself to, to the States. Cause again, you know, you know, coming from Stockholm, Sweden, I'm sure everyone knows a lot about your start in the game, but you know, coming all the way over to the, first of all, the desert. Now you have completely different climate, different temperature, different grasses, but also the ability where you can play golf 12 months out of the year. You know, what were, I mean, you had a great freshman year, you won seven times, but, but what were kind of the, the adjustments that you made to entering the, you know, the American collegiate golf system, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it all started in 1990. Um, yeah. My parents dropped me off. My mom dropped me off at the airport and um, two suitcases and a golf bag. And I was flying around the world to Arizona in August. So, you know, right there on its own is quite a change. You know, I I knew a little bit of the language, but really didn't know anybody there and, and get acclimated and settled and, and adjust to not just the golf course, but college and you know being alone and and dealing with you know different traditions and cultures and food and and all those things time change um but I think you know I look back at it and it's just that was a really important part of my life because you know you're going to start spreading your wings and learn and mature and grow and and follow your dreams and um and I did that and you know, in the beginning, of course, it was lonely days and lonely nights and, you know, just trying to adjust and then trying to make the team and then trying to practice and then school and just the balancing act of just, you know, you're being on your own. You're, you now you have to be an adult and, right. and take, you know, accountability and responsibility and, and make decisions on your own. But it's a great 
learning experience and maybe just tougher. And um, I mean, I have some great memories and it's like anything, you know, you, we, uh, we learn and we experience and we get better, we get tougher, we get older and wiser. And it was really, really good. We, um, we, we kind of hit, a, you mentioned the fact about skiing and I, I kind of wanted to uh, touch upon that, you know, skiing and, and tennis and you, you played a lot of different sports when you were growing up. And it seems here in the States, a lot of the, the, the kids that I'm kind of seeing on these, um, uh, you know, playing in these different tournaments and different, um, you know, amateur tours, they're, they're, they're focusing on golf very quickly. They're getting coaching very quickly. They've given up the, the footballs and the basketballs and baseballs, and they are just, they're just lasered in on golf. You played multiple different sports. Do you remember when you actually made that, that switch to just focusing on golf? Yeah, I was, um, I was 16 when I decided to, um, stop everything else. Okay. Um, I mean, I, as you mentioned, I tried every sport because I just love sport and try different things. And, and I love many of them. And, you know, I tried to be a tennis player. Um, you know, I was recruited to do downhill skiing and, you know, whatever I tried, I just, I liked it very much. And then, um, I guess I, I just didn't really know what to do early. I didn't, didn't wake up with a passion and so this is what I'm doing the rest of my life until I just started to play more and get a little older I realized what I was interested in and I think I think that's really the key is you know you got to find what you love to do you got to find your passion and you know and nowadays just in general it's you know there's a lot of pressure and and expectations and you know we got all these resources and then we put them on our kids early and and you know you know, there's some goods and some bad about that. And but I think in the end of the day, you got to wake up and see, kind of know what you want to do. It's, you know, having that excitement about this is what I'm doing today. And I think when you start too early and specialize, I mean, you, you lose out on things. I mean, in golf and you can argue that you don't have that team atmosphere, right. you know, you don't maybe have that, which you can add. It's, you know, the physical practice or physical aspect of it you have to you know add physical training or cardio or whatever you want to do but golf has so many other beautiful things that you know other sports don't so it's great to combine it if you can as long as possible but you know you've seen successes with playing many sports you've seen success with not playing many sports right I think it's just so it's up to the individual and and you got to do what you enjoy and but, you know, be careful of burnout or injuries of just doing one thing. And, and uh, you know, life is about experiencing different things and learning. I mean, other sports can teach you about golf. And I think golf can teach other sports, you know, and just things in life in general, actually. I mean, golf is very similar to life, whether it's learning how to adapt, be patient, right? Yeah. Um, being, you know, adjusting and. I mean, the list goes on every day. I mean, as a parent, I've, I use some of the things I learn on the golf course. And then in business, I use some of the things I learn in golf and, and vice versa. So it's, it's in the end of the day, all these little links and chains, they're all kind of connect somehow. Yeah, it's, it's a great point. And uh, I, it's kind of interesting you bring it up because I'm talking to a lot of, you know, collegiate players and they're concerned about their next step, you know, whether it's uh, the, the men, they're talking about PGA Tour U, the women, they're talking about, you know, their next steps and getting to the LPGA Tour. And it's it's so funny to hear them talk about how they 
they feel this pressure that they have to be successful on, on, on these top tours right out of the gate. And there's a lot of times where I talk to them, I'm like, you know, your friends in college, when they're 21, 22, they're getting entry-level jobs. And why do you think that you're going to necessarily be at the very, very top, uh, you know, be, be the top in the world at, at something? It's going to take some time. It's, it's interesting to watch these college-age uh, kids trying to navigate this aspect of their life. Yeah. No, it is. And I... You know, I think sometimes we get so single focused on performance and, and, you know, comparing, yeah. whether it's comparing generations or comparing to, you know, your neighbor or comparing to whatever. It's all these, but we're all so different and we have different journeys and different ex- expectations and maybe wishes. And, you know, it is, um, I mean, of course, it's a sports that's competitive and we love that, but, you know, there are many ways to skin a cat. There are many ways to go about it and I think the most important part is to go about a way that you that you feel good about like you like it and you like the journey you're having fun along the way and you're growing with it and you know getting experiences and you it's a f- fulfilling life right yeah um, I think you know it's an analogy that I got a long time ago is um is you know we we all we're humans or take kids, for example, kids are all humans in a different way and compare them to plants and plants, they need different ways to grow. Some of them need a lot of water. Some of them need little nourishment. Some of them can grow in groups and some of them are dormant in the winter. You know, some of them grow quickly and then slow. And I think you get the point. And I think that we are, we are like that. And, you know, how do you raise a child? Well, it's a similar, right? And, and we have two kids and, I don't use the same method for both of them. Um, and it's just, you have to kind of see how it goes. And, and I think that's really the key to the end of the day is to, when you look at these athletes and, okay, what's your journey? Where, how do you need? And, and stop comparing. And cause it not just does it get super competitive, but I think it gets stressful. And, and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, mental health and, you know, being comfortable and being you and being accepted and, and all those things is a fine line where you should have a healthy competition and a performance um, without, you know, jeopardizing the other parts. Where, um, where in the the parent playbook did you see the chapter that talked about preparing your your son to play on TV uh, in the same pairing as Tiger Woods and his son? Did did you find that that page anywhere in the uh, in the parent playbook? No, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't found that page, and I didn't know if it was ever going to come. And um, yeah, it's one of those things where you know we're who's more nervous there? I mean, good gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I mean, he well is a big student of the game, and is obviously a big tiger fan and been following him and then to be part of it and on this i mean, somewhat big arena right and sure you know we just want to slowly introduce him to the game and all of a sudden this came and it was uh you <laughs> put the the quick start button but um no it's really neat that you know because for him it's the inspiration and you know the like it's real you know it's not just somebody you read about and see it's some now this was like right you know, personal connection. So, yeah. you know, I think it inspired him and motivated him. And it just made it seem like, you know, I, I've been there out, you know, does it make him hungry? Does he want to do it again? Meaning want to play, want to practice, want to be in it. Then that's what it takes. 
I would imagine that uh, your dance card's pretty full there. He would want to play in that tournament again. I, I, can't, <laughs> I, I think I think you can pencil that one in on your calendar for a while. I would imagine. Yeah, well, we have um, we've sharpened our pencils, so we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Um, before I let you go, I mean, you're you're heading out on the road again. The Annika Foundation, trying to get my arms around all the different things that this foundation does, and to try and you know ask you which one you're most passionate about i know that's a foolish question but i know it is aimed towards empowering the next generation of women i know that it's uh, heavily involved as we talked about with the annika intercollegiate so that's kind of the collegiate arm of it obviously there's an award named after you for the best uh, uh women's uh collegiate golf for the year so uh that that award's been going out to a lot of stanford cardinals over the last uh, two three years Perhaps what, you know, if I had to ask you what is maybe the biggest obstacle or the biggest challenge with getting more women into the game or introducing them to the game, is there maybe one thing that you're targeting through your foundation to accomplish this year, next year, five years down the line? Um, Well, first of all, I mean, I just feel very lucky, um, you know, to have the foundation as a as a tool to inspire the next generation, whether it's tournaments, different initiatives, mentoring, scholarship or money or whatever it is that can help any young lady pursue her dream. Um, You know, it's, it's just, I think that there's been a lot of initiatives out there to introduce young girls and women and ladies and, you know, to the game. I think the hardest part is how do we, you know, maintain that that rate of staying in the game. Right. I think retention retention is the hardest. Okay. You know, how do it's easy to just oh let's start a clinic and you get all these people, but how many of them stay in the game? Right. So stay in the game and understanding that it's not just like in our case with the foundation, you know, we're not trying to create the next generation of superstars in golf. I like to say we're trying to create superstars as human beings, right. That play golf. Sure. So whether they're great in school or great with friends, great in the community, you know, that is equal as important. Golf is just kind of a vehicle to get to where they, you know, their, their goals are. And um, so I think for us is to maintain the friendship, maintain the connection, maintain the motivation and maintain the opportunities for them is really important. Whether it's educating, whether it's competition, whether it's the friendships and, you know, I mean, it's all those things. And I think that within the golf industry, it's, it is a big industry and there's a lot of things that a lot of these young ladies can do without necessarily hitting a golf shot. If that's not what they want to do. I mean, to play professional golf, I mean, it, takes a special person in the sense that you need to be competitive. You're traveling. You have to be grinding and pushing yourself and all those things. And not everybody enjoys that, you know, full time, but there are other things that these young girls, we want to introduce them to other opportunities, you know, career opportunities, you know, career paths that they can maybe use golf because they have a lot to offer. They know a lot about the game, you know, they know, um, you know, they know people in the industry and they just might like the hospitality or the management part. So I think that's one of the is to continue to play or get the, the young ladies to stay in the sport and be part of it and make it a business, you know, be an owner of, of a golf course or superintendent or just, 
you know, run a golf event or whatever. Just show them that the ladies can do it too. Yeah, it's a very, uh, you know, in, through the course of my travels or, or what I've done at the back of the range, I find that the women's mid-amateur game, which is kind of the least represented in on the amateur side of things, which is, you know, that 25 to 45 age range where, you know, maybe they're, they're starting careers, starting families, and then golf kind of falls to the back burner, but it doesn't have to. And yeah, golf is also just, it's it's a hard game to get into and it's, a, I guess, I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but it's hard to stay in it if you're not maybe as good at it. It's easy to fall away from it if you're not playing playing at a high level, which shouldn't be the case. I mean, you can enjoy golf no matter what your skill set is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a game for life. Yeah. I mean, you see it the other day, he's 82, and um, Will, our son, is 12, and I'm 52. It's like a three-generation. I mean, what other sports can three-generation go out there and, and socialize and still be somewhat competitive and have a good time and create memories. And that's what, you know, I, I, you know, with these young girls through our college is, you know, they might stop competing, but they, you know, they pursue a career in, you know, in advertising or, you know, maybe want to be in the healthcare, but still, you know, the tool that they have to be able to interact with people on a golf course or make business deals or whatever, be part of a pro-am and the networking is huge. And, just for them to have the confidence that they have learned from the game, you know, that's kind of spread through the, you know, through their lives. Well, I know you got to get on a plane uh, pretty soon. You're heading to Korea. You have the 54 hole uh, stroke play event, You're co-hosting that with uh, Sayri Pak and her foundation. Then I know there's another, another outing there as well. Uh, your calendar is, I was just looking at the calendar of the Annika Foundation. I'm like, that looks very familiar, traveling all over the country and uh, covering golf. So um, I appreciate the time you're giving me. You mentioned pro-ams. I will let you out of here with this. Give me a good Annika Sorenson pro-am story. I don't know how many you've played in your career, <laughs> but there has to be one that jumps out. And also, I guess, advice for, for amateurs that end up playing with a professional in a pro-am you know, because we're way out over our skis. We don't know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden there's professional watching us try and find a fairway or make a make a six-footer. Do you, do you have any pro-am stories that, that jump out at you? Like, uh, yeah, ne- I mean, ne- yeah, there's got to be one. Yeah, no, I've been lucky to play in a lot of prams where you, I mean, first of all, you meet great people. And yeah. I'm not just saying that. You really do. And, and you know, some many of my friendship has actually been in a, in a pro-am where we kept touch afterwards and, um, but I think a tip just in general for, for any of that place in the pro-am, you know, you, you'd be surprised. <laughs> the pros are really good. It doesn't matter who you play with. And it was always interesting. You know, I love, um, when there's a person that tries to outdrive you, outplay you and, you know, it might happen on a whole or two or three or four, right? I sure. mean, there's some good amateurs out there, but I would just say, you know, put the ego aside, go out there and play and, and create some memories and, and, uh, <laughs> You know, it's not about, you know, you're a team out there. And so I always giggle when when you have that person um, trying to outshine. And it's fine, but it's that's not really why we play in the Pro-Am. The Pro-Am is a way to say thank you to sponsors and sure. interact with fun people. So, yeah, there's a lot of stories. I mean, I've, you know, I played with you know um, Bill Murray, who is so, so funny. You know, um, I played with uh, Joe Pesci one time and, and you know, he, he, just you know how they were dragging him along and i mean you can 
you know, we're walking at this rope line and he's not the tallest guy, is he? Uh-uh. And they kept, lift, they kept lifting it up and then they're like, no, hey, we should go down for him. And we just oh. kind of stood there and it was just hilarious. That's the best. That's the right. best. Well, I appreciate all the time you, you've been able to provide. I'm, I'm really excited about this partnership between the Back of the Range and uh, the Annika and the Haskins Award this year, trying to get as much exposure for, for men's golf, women's golf, and uh, it's going to be fun at the end of the year to see who wins these uh, these great awards at the uh, national championship. Uh, safe travels to Korea. I don't know what the time, what is the, what is the time, uh, uh, the, the time in the air for, for here to Korea? I don't yeah, even, I don't it's, know. Um... <laughs> Yeah, now, yeah. I mean, I fly from Atlanta, and it's about 16 hours, so it's a good time to sleep. <laughs> good time to sleep, and, uh, well, safe travels. I appreciate uh, the time, and uh, hope to see you down the road again, uh, hopefully before next year's Onic Intercollegiate, but I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Well, thank you, Ben. I know we'll see you. We appreciate the support. And there you have it. Special thanks to Annika Sorenstam for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.